Well, uh, good morning again. If, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be in John chapter 11, and uh, I, feel, I feel led to apologize to everyone. Uh, I uh, finish singing uh, with you in the crowd, and then I come on stage, and the first thing I always do when I come on stage is I turn my microphone on to begin speaking, and I realize my microphone has been on the entire time. So I have no idea how much of that made it into the crowd, or God forbid, into the live stream and recorded for all eternity, but uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, we're, we're in this series, uh, we're, we're calling it Legendary Friends, and uh, we're looking at these stories of, of the, this family that appears to be just really close friends with Jesus. And the way that I read it, the way that I interpret it, is that these are the kind of friends that every time Jesus passed through their town, he seems to stop at their house. They seem to know each other really well. I, I imagine that they had the kind of friendship that many of you have with, with your very legendary close friends of like a lot of, a lot of inside jokes, a lot of inside stories. I, I don't, I don't if you have friendships like that. I hope you do. Uh, I hope I hope you have some some memories of that. Uh, I was I was thinking as uh, you know some of some of the friends that I made along the way. People some people I don't talk to as much. But uh, when I moved to Dallas from from Nederland, I graduated Nederland. Go Bulldogs! Uh, and uh, I moved to Dallas. Um, I wasn't I wasn't fully prepared for college. I, I don't know what I thought college was like. But I went with a garbage bag full of clothes and like a a laundry basket full of ramen noodles, and that's it. I didn't have I didn't have books. I didn't have pen and paper. I didn't have a bed. I, I didn't have anything. And so I, I get I get to Dallas. Uh, I don't have a map. This is before like you could map things on your phone. This is like 20 years ago. Uh, and and I've never been to Dallas. I had printed off my maps quest uh, and I drive. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I'm, I'm again in that Ford Escort I mentioned last week. But uh, it turns out that the distance from my driveway in Nederland to the distance to my apartment in Dallas is exactly one tank of gas for the Ford Escort. And I didn't stop for gas. I didn't plan for that. Uh, and so now I'm in Dallas and I'm a little nervous because I'm about to run out of gas and I can't, I don't, I've never been in a city this big uh, and I don't know how to get gas. And so I, I get on the phone with my roommate that I've not met yet and his name, I uh, believe on his birth certificate, God given, parents named him Buster McQueen. Uh, I think, I think that's his real name. And I call Buster. I'm like, Hey man, I have no idea where I'm at. I don't know how to get to the apartment and I'm about to run out of gas. He's like, hey man, don't worry about it. And so like real, real quick, he, he guided me. He's like, take a right here, take a left here. And so I sit in this apartment complex, scared to crank my car that I may run out of gas, waiting for this man that I've never met, this guy that I've never met, Buster McQueen. Buster, he rolls up in this old, like, blue Ford, something in the 60s, white smoke coming out, and he gets out of the truck, and he has a bandana and a bull ring in his nose. And it wasn't just a little one. It was like way down to his lips. And, and I didn't know. He said, hey, I'm, I'm Buster. How you doing? It's like, okay. And Buster and I hit it off. Like he became like my best friend. One, he's my tour guide of Dallas. So I don't know anything about Dallas. But two, like we, we would just hang out. We would talk. We went to church together. Sometimes I would walk into the apartment and we would just start fighting for no, not like angry fighting, but like put someone in a headlock and like noogie on for a while. He had, uh, he had a finisher move uh, when we would fight. I don't know if you know this move or not, but it's called the fish hook. All right. And so you get behind someone and you stick their fing your finger in their mouth and you grab their cheek and just wrap it around their head. Okay. And so it's, it's the most painful finisher move you've ever had. And so you're just minding your own business, like, you know, scrambling an egg or something. And then all of a sudden you're getting fish hooked out of the kitchen because that's, that's Buster. It, it was, it was fun in that apartment. Uh, I, I didn't have a bed. I slept on my garbage bag full of clothes for a while. So Buster and I built a bunk bed. We made the bed out of some two by fours and that was, 
was, that was how we survived. Uh, it, it was good. Uh, there are a ton of stories that I could tell about Buster. One of them was uh, we go to a grocery store. I'm finding my way to a grocery store for the first time in Dallas. That's the closest one to the house. Never been to a Dallas grocery store. And as we're walking in, he, he's a single guy, and he sees a girl in front of him that he thinks is really, really cute. He's like, look at her. She's hot. It's like, okay, I guess. And when we get in, it turns out, turns out it was a man dressed as a woman. Uh, <laughs> And, and it was 20 years ago, so that was kind of new, or not, not as common, I guess, as it is now. And I, I just, I love teasing him about that. Uh, Buster, man. And even right now, as I tell this story, like, I'm flashing back to, like, serious conversations as well. I'm flashing back to, like, weird, like, uh, late night, like, we just happened to both be awake and we, we would talk. It's something about having friendships where you have that level of, uh, history with that is, is, uh, really helpful. And Jesus, as, as he went around, he had, he, had, he made friends with, with people. Uh, if you do have a legendary friend like that, let me tell you, we're giving away cards, uh, to, uh, people who have legendary friends to, uh, the legendary gelato cafe. So as you leave, if you want to put your slip and your name in the box, we're drawing one a week. Uh, and so you and your legendary friend could go get some gelato and tell a story by getting fish hooked out of the kitchen or, or whatever you've got going on. But that's, that's out there. Um, last week, we looked at uh, this family for the first time. It's two sisters and a brother. Uh, it would have been normal for them all to be married. It would have been normal for them all to have children, but it doesn't mention their families, their, you know, the, the, the people that they married or the kids that they had. Really, we, we hear about Martha, we hear about Mary, and we hear about Lazarus. And um, Jesus, as he, as he left Jerusalem, he went to Galilee or vice versa from Galilee to Jerusalem. He had to almost always pass through their hometown of Bethany um, and, and share some moments. Last week, uh, Martha invites Jesus into her house and you know wants to have a, a great party. And Mary, her sister, just sits at Jesus's feet. And after a ton of frustration, Martha's like, come on, Jesus, like make her get up and help me. Come on, you know, you know we're supposed to do something right now. And, and Jesus's response, was no, Martha. Mary, Mary chose the, the one thing. She chose the good thing. And I'm not going to take that from her. Martha, you're, you're troubled. You're anxious about many things, but only one thing is required. And I wonder, I wonder one, if, if every time Martha got busy, Mary would be like, hey, are you focused on that one thing? You know how those inside stories start to unfold. Uh, Martha is like, you know, lecturing Lazarus about all the things that he did because she, he's probably the little brother or something. Lecturing Lazarus and and Lazarus looks Martha. Yeah, you're anxious and troubled about many things, just like a zinger. Like you remember when Jesus said that to you? Uh, I wonder. I wonder if that story was always told every time you know Jesus came to town. Hey, remember when I was I was a real knucklehead and I was trying to impress you and you just told me to focus on the one thing. I I think that that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had the type of relationship with Jesus that we have with our friends that we remember and make those memories. Here's what I want to know is uh, if you were here last week, especially like, how are we doing on removing all the distractions that we carry around, all the anxieties, all the troubles? How are we doing on just sitting at the feet of Jesus? And I challenged you last week to consider a couple of things that sound super unspiritual, but like setting a calendar reminder, like it's time to pray. I, I think, um, I think what our church needs, what, and by our church, I don't just mean Carpenter's, I mean just America. Uh, we need less programs about how to be spiritual and we need less bells and whistles and like, uh, here, here's the, here's the 10 step program. We just need to be reminded, like we're invited to pray. 
just to sit and quietly at the feet of Jesus on a daily basis and just like, hey, I've, I've got some stresses coming up. Uh, I want to give those to you. Uh, and just in the silence of it, hear him. That's what Martha learned. She learned maybe the, the hard way, but she learned it and, and good for her. Uh, Mary, Mary had learned it as well. We're going to pick up today uh, in John chapter 11. And uh, this is a story of a funeral. This is a story of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus, uh, if, if you, if you know the name Lazarus, you probably know, oh, he dies and they have a funeral and he's resurrected. Um, I love this story. This is probably my top five stories and I use this, um, often. Uh, I, I've maybe taught this three or four times at funerals. It's, it's interesting to talk about Lazarus's funeral at a funeral. And the mistake that we usually make, especially if you know the story, the mistake that we make is, oh, it's Lazarus. It's about a resurrection. Jesus has power. He's strong. Flex. He can raise Lazarus from the dead. That's true, um, but that's that's just like the last verse of the chapter. The, there's there's thirty some odd verses of story between Lazarus dying and Lazarus being resurrected. And so here, here's what I want. I want to have two main points that I want to share with you. The first one is Jesus does have the power to resurrect, and and Lazarus celebrates that. And so so yes, you know that. But but there's this other point that I want to make is that in the in between moments where life is just it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. There's a lot of pain in those in-between moments. What is, what is Jesus wanting to teach his disciples? Um, what, what is the, what is the, what are, what are the feelings and the emotions that we can pull out of this story? Because if I'm not mistaken, um, just a moment ago, we were, we were praying together as a church. And, um, as I, I, I mean, I'm not eavesdropping, but I can hear some of the prayer requests as they're happening. There's a lot of potential grief. There's a lot of hurt. And we make a mistake when we think, well, Jesus only meets me on these high clifftops and these high spiritual moments where I'm super excited. It turns out that Jesus is also willing to walk hand in hand with the grieving sisters as they, as they hurt, to look them in the eye and to weep with them. Uh, I want to, I want to pull that out together. So, uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 17. Uh, let me set this up on like what's happened so far. Um, uh, Mary and Martha's brother has been sick for quite a while. Uh, it doesn't say what he has. I wonder what it was. I wonder if he had maybe, some people think he may have even caught leprosy because a lot of lepers were in Bethany, but who knows? He's been sick for a while and Mary and Martha know that he's sick and they happen to be friends with someone who has already proven I can heal sick people. That's a pretty good friend to have around, right? So if you have a friend named Jesus who can, excuse me, who can heal sick people, um, and your brother gets sick, then what do you do? You've got to send Jesus the email. You've got to get a message to him. And so they sent a message to Jesus, and they said, uh, hey, come, come heal my brethren. And Jesus actually waits more time than what was necessary. Uh, and, and he says, you know, it's not going to end in death. Uh, he's he's going to rise again. We, we've got this. He, he, he tells his disciples what they're going to do. And his disciples, I think, are kind of confused. One of his disciples are like, well, I guess we're all going to go die with Jesus today because they thought, you know, today was the day. And so they're heading to the funeral. We'll pick up in verse 17 uh, as Jesus makes it to Bethany. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, uh, four days, uh, one, that's a long time to be dead. They've already buried him. He's in the tomb. He's been there for four days. Uh, there are, is some uh, uh, historians who talk about the, the relevance of four. Uh, in that day, in that culture, there was a belief that uh, the, the spirit hung out with the body for three days, and then after that goes to be with the Lord. That's just 
I believe it's not in scripture, it's just what they thought. And so by John emphasizing four days, he's saying like, this isn't just a CPR moment that, that we're resuscitating a man who just, like he fell, he died, and his heart's been stopped for 10 minutes. Like as far as they're concerned, all hope is lost. So when we read four days, all hope is lost. Um, he's been in the tomb for four days. 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Um, this is one of the reasons why we think that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are a wealthy family, even though they live in a very poor community, uh, because one, they have a crowd that comes. Uh, it was common in the day when you have a funeral, you hire mourners because as we all know, you only love someone as much as you're able to put on a good show for them at the funeral, right? That's, that's, no, that's not how it works, but that's how some of us work. Uh, and that's, that's how they work. And so they, they would hire mourners and grievers to wail. They were just like professional criers. They would go to all the funerals. Um, and so they, they have this crowd that goes with them. And it says in verse 20, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Um, this is this is backwards of what happened last time. So if you remember, uh, one of the early times, the earliest time that's recorded in Scripture, where Martha and Mary meet Jesus, who sits at the feet of Jesus and who's too busy to say anything to Jesus? Martha's the busy one. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. Lazarus gets sick. Somebody go get Jesus. And they send for him, and he doesn't get there on time. And now Jesus has arrived back in town. He's standing outside the gates, and, and he, they, they find out about it. Martha and Mary know that Jesus is outside the gates, but who runs to Jesus? They, they flipped roles. Martha has to get to Jesus as soon as possible. And Mary, uh, and we'll see some grief here in a moment, Mary, ugh, she just sits I think, I think there's going to be a little bit of anger with Mary. I wonder uh, if it's fair for the, the pastor uh, in the sermon to ask a question like, have you ever been in a season where you were mad at God? You're praying for good things. You know that they were good, and they didn't come to pass. And, and in the moment, like if you were honest with yourself and with God, you don't have to raise your hand. You were just like, come on, man. You could have, right? You, you could have done this. Um, Mary seems to be kind of taking that, that route. Martha, she runs to Jesus, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just a, just a statement of fact, a little, little extra grief in there. God, I, I, think, I think that if you showed up four days ago, we wouldn't be having this moment right now. I've seen you heal people. I know you heal people. You healed Simon the leper just like three weeks ago at my house. I know, I know you, you can heal people. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha has uh, an understanding of who Jesus is and that he's capable of, of big things. And so whatever you ask of God, I know that he will give it to you. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if you guys have ever uh, uh, been in a moment where maybe it's a hard season and some, someone who's a Christian comes and they say, uh, what ho- hopefully is really nice things. They, they want to, they want to say nice things. Um, but it just doesn't make any sense at all. And it's sort of, it's just sort of those spiritual platitudes that people add to hard seasons. Um, Martha's thinking that Jesus is doing one of those moments. And so maybe, maybe we, we go somewhere and, uh, you know, uh, someone's like, well, you know, uh, uh, God just, just need, God was bored in heaven without him. So so we brought him there. God, God, God just needed a, another angel. God doesn't need another angel. He's got plenty. Uh, death is painful, right? Um, and sometimes we do spiritual platitudes. And when Martha hears Jesus say, your brother will rise again, she's thinking, 
Oh, that's what all the other people are saying. It's just a spiritual platitude. She says, uh, Martha said to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's like, I know that. I know, but what you're saying doesn't really affect my grief right now. See, what, what we need to be hearing right now as we walk our way through to the, the, the rest of this funeral, what we need to be hearing is that Jesus is entering into the grief of the people and answering their questions. Uh, he, he's talking to them. He's speaking hope to the grievers, and, and, and he has the power to do that. He's not ignoring it. He's not, he's not mad when we're overcome with grief. He's not even going to be mad at Mary when, he's, uh, when she's angry at him. Uh, he, he's willing to take the real raw emotions as they come. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, he says, I know, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is a, a powerful statement. Um, if you're interested in, in just how Bible study works, the book of John has seven big I am statements. This is the final of the big, or the seventh uh, big I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. It's, it's an important way of understanding John. And what Jesus is saying, you're looking for a future hope of the resurrection. What you need to know is that you're looking at that hope. You're looking, I, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then ask, do you, do you believe that? I wonder, uh, we'll, we'll come back to this verse here in a second, but I wonder if Jesus were to like kind of confront you in, in your pain and your sorrow and your seasons. He told, tells you a true statement about who he is, and then he asks you, do you believe that? Like, how do you respond? Because to believe in something is to walk in that truth, right? Uh, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. She's grieving Lazarus. To walk in that truth is to, I don't know, it's about to happen. There's going to be hope. Um, do you believe this? She says in verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. For her, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she looks at him and says, not only do I believe that, I believe that you're the son of God coming into the world. What she just had, I even wrote it in my Bible. I just wrote, aha. She had an aha moment with, with Jesus. Um, these, these are precious and few moments that I think, I think we would be wise to take note of when they happen in, in our life. There are these moments in our lives where we, we hear spiritual truths that we've heard a thousand times. She's heard that there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. She's believed that Jesus was powerful. She probably already believed that, that Jesus was the Christ or maybe a forerunner of the Christ. She's believed some very powerful, meaningful things about Jesus. But in this moment, there's this aha moment. Oh, and all the pieces come together. Can you remember the last time you had an aha moment with God where, where you, you were at church and you heard the preacher say the same thing that you've heard every time you've been in church? It's been 10 times you've heard the same statement. But then all of a sudden it hits you in a different spot because you're in a different place of pain or you're in a different season of life or you have all kind of things that are more disorganized than they were 20 years ago the last time you remember hearing it. And now you have this, oh, Oh, that's what you mean when you say a peace that surpasses all understanding. Wow. Oh, that's, that's what you mean when, when it, oh, walking in truth. Oh, that's what you mean when, when we, we can have forgiveness and let go of the debt, right? That's, that's what you mean when I can walk in, in forgiveness. That's, that's what you mean when you say there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you look in the mirror and you have that aha moment. I have, I have no condemnation on me. I have no shame on me. Why? Because of the cross. I have no, I have no, 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 no guilt on me because the cross has paid my guilt price. 
You have these aha moments. Uh, Martha, she, she has an aha moment. So what do you do when you have an aha moment with God? What do you do with that information? Hopefully, you don't do what I usually do, which is just bottle it up. Like, yes, I had a secret, awesome moment with God, and I'm just going to hold on to this, right? Maybe I'll draw a picture about it later and just keep it in my secret place. What Martha does is that she has this aha moment with Jesus, and she's like, I know somebody who needs an aha moment with Jesus. I know somebody who needs to spend some time with Jesus and have hope. When, when you have an aha moment, when you have a moment that's just like the light goes off and you are filled with hope, you should immediately, hopefully, know someone who also needs that hope and run to them. Martha, when she ran to Jesus, she left someone behind and it was Mary, who's just, <laughs> just sitting there. I'm not going to Jesus. He got here late. He's four days late. And Martha, she has this aha moment with Jesus, and now she's going to run to her sister Mary. Verse 28, when she uh, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. She, Oh, Jesus is here? I, I'm, here I go. This entire time, Jesus is still standing outside the village. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, verse 30, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. What what Martha intended to be a secret moment. She went to Jesus in secret. Now, like everybody's like, oh, oh, we're running out the door now. A whole crowd is now running. And Mary, uh, bless her heart, uh, in her rawness, is going to have a very raw moment in a very public setting. And sometimes that happens, I think. I, I know sometimes I'll, I'll talk to someone. I know it myself. I know sometimes where I thought I was bottling up all that energy. I thought I had a good control on it. I had a good control in the anger, had a good control of the sadness. And all of a sudden it just comes out like sideways energy because I've been holding on to it and, and I'm, I'm going to explode. I wonder if Mary had been planning her speech that she's going to give Jesus. And while she was going to do it in secret, now she's doing it in public. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, period. At least Martha added on to that. At least Martha said, well, I know whatever you ask of God, he'll give to you. Now, Mary, she's, she's like, listen, if you had been here, I wouldn't be grieving right now. If, if you had showed up the way that I expected you to show up, I, you, we wouldn't be having a funeral right now. Um, I, in my Bible, I had to put a box where it says that she fell at his feet. Um, I wonder if she did that out of instinct. I used to read this like she was just overcome with so much grief that that like she just collapsed at Jesus' feet. But I, I now think, especially after last week, I think I think that when she was praised, remember Mary's the one who sat at Jesus' feet last time. Martha was the busy one. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and and was praised for it. Mary, you've chosen the good thing. I'm not going to take this from you. This is where you should be. And I think I think that once she got faced, when she was hiding from Jesus, she's steaming. But when she sees Jesus, when she gets close to him, she instinctively just falls to the place where she found hope before. She falls at the feet of Jesus and just lets him have this raw emotion. If you had been here, Jesus, uh, my brother wouldn't have died. And just stares, cries, just hopelessness. I've, I'm, I've been alive long enough, and some of you even longer than me, I've been alive long enough to know that this world is broken and the, the sharp edges are getting sharper. Um, it just, there's so much reason for grief and pain. And somewhere along the way, we learned that to be a Christian means that I pretend it's okay. 
Somewhere along the way, we learn that in order for me to be a good Christian, I've got to tell you that that edge wasn't as sharp as everybody knows it really is, and that somehow God has dulled that edge. And what we're reading right now is that Mary does not take that instinct. Mary takes the sharp edge to Jesus and says, this edge is sharp. What do you want to do about it? Um, we would be wise to take a, a cue out of Jesus's notebook and stop pretending that this world isn't as painful as it is because there's a, there's, a, there's a group of people out here who don't have the hope of Jesus and they're not pretending and they're waiting for someone to speak you know truth, to speak reality. Yes, that part's broken, that part's broken. I can't believe that you've had to go through that, but let me tell you about the Jesus who can, who can handle that, that pain. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, she looks at him, at her, just sobbing at his feet. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Um, there's some, there's some, uh, uh, some word studies. We, we went over this passage in the summer school program. We went over the summer. And uh, some interesting things came out of the word study there about like Jesus is looking at a crowd who are, are artificially weeping. And it says that he's deeply moved and he's troubled. There's some anger and there's some indignation uh, about that. Um, death and grief sorrow. Those are all consequences of sin. It's not part of our natural state. For Jesus, the creator of the universe, to look at us experiencing the pain that is not our natural state, he, he gets a little ticked off about it. And so he's greatly moved in spirit, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come come and see. Let's let's go to the, to the grave site. Verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, by the way, if, you, if you're into, you know, like, hey, I need to start Bible memorization. That's the one. Look how short that is. In Greek, it's two words. In English, it's two words. Jesus, Jesus wept. Uh, it's a powerful verse. Don't miss the, the implication. The implication is this. Um, that season of life that you went through that caused you to weep, that caused you to have raw emotions, when Mary brought those raw emotions to Jesus, he joined her in those raw emotions. The word compassion, passion means suffering. Compassion means co-suffering. To join with someone in their suffering. Mary and Martha are grieving their brother. And they take it to Jesus. And we have an image of God who like sits high above all of our pain and just like stoically like grabs his white beard and looks down and is like, it's all going to be okay. That's our image of God. But that's not the God we read about in Scripture. The God we read about in Scripture is Jesus hears the, the tears falling from Mary and her sister Martha, and he joins them in weeping. Jesus wept because, because he was a man as much as he was a God. So the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. Look, look at Jesus. Look how much he's crying. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now you have one half of the crowd is like, oh my gosh, this Jesus, he's something else. He really loved this man. And the other half of the crowd is like, come on though. But if he was here four days ago, he could have done something. Uh, it's an interesting moment here. And it happens all throughout John that, that when you get a, um, uh, like a, a barometer reading on the crowd, you have half of the crowd moving closer to Jesus and half of the crowd moving farther away from Jesus. And isn't it true uh, that you and I, when we go through seasons of life, that we can go through mirror identical seasons as this brother or the sister next to us, and one of us runs closer and has a richness with Jesus, and one of us uses that same similar story as the reason that we run from Jesus. And, and the, the grief... Uh, the grief isn't causing it. 
It's, it's what we do with the grief. It's what we do with the pain. It's what we do with sorrow and heartache. We, we either run towards Jesus, or we run away from him. And those around us, the crowd in this case, uh, some will come closer to Jesus as a result of it, and some will, will come farther away. And so here we get to the point where uh, this is like when we think of Lazarus, these last few sentences are all we really think about. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And I love this. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to the Lord, uh, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. I, I love that because it was like 15 verses ago. I am the resurrection, the life. Do you believe that? And Martha's like, yes. And then like they get to the tomb. And he's like, well, roll the stone away. Well, he's going to stink, Jesus. He's dead. Like he's really, really dead. Uh, you know, so sometimes uh, we think that it's all about our belief. Martha had a wavering faith. Like 10 minutes ago, really strong. And now I don't know so much. Uh, Jesus isn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't need us to have like steady faith all the way through. He just needs us to trust him. And so uh, Jesus said to her, verse 40, did, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You know, hey, obey me. Uh, you called me Lord. That means obey me. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, he prays this prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. What he's saying is one, uh, this prayer is only for the people who are listening, but also this moment is a chance. Like we're going to raise Lazarus and, you know, praise God. Your brother's going to live again. He'll have another funeral in 10, 20 years after this, whatever it was. Um, but, but really the big deal, this moment, is about you, God, glorifying me, Jesus. That God is going to let them know Jesus is the real deal. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I like how simple that is. Jesus is just like, hey, Lazarus, come on, buddy. And Lazarus, come out. Uh, and the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face uh, wrapped with a cloth. Uh, that had to have been the weirdest moment ever, right? You're, you're, you're Lazarus. What have you been doing for the last four days? Like hanging out in your street of gold with your palace? I don't know. Like, where's he been? What's he been up to? And then all of a sudden you hear like uh, a voice. Lazarus, come out. And you wake up and you're like bound. You got, you got like mummy clothes on. Uh, and, and you come out and it, it ends with Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Like, hey, somebody get that bondage off of him. Because after all, death is a, is a bondage. We, we walk around scared to death of death. Uh, you know, if I'm, I can't speak up because they might kill me. And Jesus is like, I got this. Lazarus, come on. Come on out, and we're going to unbind him. The, the story is is unique uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it's it's uh, only one of three times Jesus raised the dead. I, I think a lot of times when we think of Jesus uh, and resurrections, we think, oh, Jesus must always raise the dead. Uh, it, don't, it only happened three times. This is a big one. Um, after this, uh, the Pharisees are ready to plot to kill Jesus. The, the next heading says the plot to kill Jesus in, in my Bible. But what I want to focus on is more about the implication. Like, what are we supposed to do about it? Are we supposed to just hear this and think, oh, Jesus raises, raised Lazarus that one time? That was an awesome story 2,000 years ago. I sure do wish some power like that was around? Or should we read that and be like, well, if he has that kind of power, then, then what, what could he do in, in my life as well? Uh, real, real quick, I just, I just want to hit the, the note that, that there, there's a, a theme throughout Jesus' teachings that we are called to put things to death and just trust him with it. Uh, so many times we're called to put things to death. Uh, in John chapter 12, I'm going to go quickly here, verses uh, 23 through 25. 
Oh, where'd it go? It says, uh, uh, the hour has come, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a, that sounds like a Yoda thing to say, right? Like, okay, to gain a life, I've got to lose it. But if I lose it, I, I gain it. That's so confusing. Matthew uh, chapter 10, if we can put it up here, it'll save me time on turning to it. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Go to Matthew 16, verse 24. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is just a theme throughout his teachings. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When, when Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, do you, do you believe that? I wonder, I wonder if we believe him when he says that. The, the Christian walk is so much of this thing that I thought was the most important thing in my life. I'm told to put that to death. I'm told to sacrifice that. I'm told to just put it down. This thing that I thought was going to be my identity, I'm told to let that go and just trust that Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life, knows what he's doing and he can make something out of it. And if I try to hang on to it, if I try to hang on to all of these identity markers that I was taught were crazy important, uh, Jesus warns us that we, in fact, will lose our life. But if we trust him and just let it go, the thing that we're told to surrender, we just let it go. If we trust him with it, he says that you'll find life in return. And I just wonder, like, in what areas of life are you right now? Like, you've been being told from your Lord. As you sit at his feet, you've been being told, hey, I, I want you to trust me with that. I want you to put, like, just put it in my hands and just, it, just let it die. Just, just let it, let it go. I, I was trying to think of some examples. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, like in, in our finances, a, a lot of times we work really hard. And so, like, the, the way that we can hang on to it is, I, I work really hard for this and this is, this is my money and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I want with it. But when we trust the Lord with it, it is, well, He, He gave me the ability to make these monies and all of my finances, or a gift from him. And so I'm going to trust him with this avenue of, of you know, whatever it is. Like I'm going to give to this cause or I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, work on, on tithing. I think of marriages. Uh, the, the idea of a marriage is like two people who are two sinners. I don't know if you know that married people, like both of you walked into that marriage sinners. Uh, two imperfect sinners show up and say, we're going to do life together. And the wrong way of doing life together is, hey, I've been this way for 20 years. You're just going to have to get over it, honey. All right. It's time for you to grow up and you need to learn to accept me for who I am. Uh, also, another wrong way of doing marriage is, hey, I know you've been that way for 20 years, but it's my job to fix you. And so I'm going to go over here. I'm going to fix you. Those are terrible, selfish ways to do marriage. But a, a good way to do a marriage is that you show up as two imperfect people and you realize, oh, you have needs that are different than mine. I have needs that are different, and I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let that down. That, that used to be really important to me, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that to death, and I'm just gonna trust that Jesus knows what he's doing when I'm going to put that to death. I think of, of, uh, parenting and, and parenting. So much of parenting I, I see is, you know, us trying to prove that we're really great people, uh, by how our kids act. So my kid is really great at sports. That makes me a good person. My kid is great at like grades. That makes me a great person. Somehow my kids are all about me, 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 me. But if I just put to death this need to impress you and just say, Oh, I'm, I'm told to steward my son. 
I'm told to raise him in godly ways, and I don't care what that reflects on me and uh, what you think about me. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna honor him. I'm going to raise up my child in the way he should go. I'm gonna put to death my need to impress strangers who don't care a flip about me, uh, and I'm going to just just love this kid and try to raise him to be a godly man. Um, that's that's good. Uh, I can put that to death and and let the Lord uh, resurrect that. I think of uh, like career choices. You know, so, so many of us, we, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I know that they, they, their entire life, they thought I wanted to be blank and they fill in the blank with like lawyer, doctor, whatever. And then, and then they go into the season of, I, I've been working at it, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. I feel like the Lord, and they will even articulate it this way. I feel like the Lord wants me to do this instead, but I can't, I can't give all this up. Look at all this work I've put into it. Look at, look at what I, look at what I've made with this. There's only one right response. Like if you're certain, like let's first get some clarity. Let's get some discernment. Let's get some other brothers and sisters praying about the clarity on this situation. But if you're telling me that you're clear, that you know the Lord wants you to do something different than this, and you're just telling me you're scared to do it, the only right thing is to put it to death. If you try to hang on to it, you might lose what the Lord has for you over here. Let it go and then trust the Lord here. Uh, Mary and Martha, they learned that Jesus can raise the dead, um, but they more than that, they learned that, that Jesus has this power of resurrection and life. And it's more than just Lazarus coming back to life, their brother. It is, oh, he's the one who, who has hope in his hands. Um, I'm going to close with, with this passage um, uh, in Philippians. We, we've been looking at this as Jesus, like future tense. Hey, I have this power, just trust me. But let's look in Philippians because there's a man, Paul, uh, he, he learned this. He learned this lesson, um, and he's, he's talking backwards like, as a man who has done this, he's saying, I've got life as a result of it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul's in prison. Uh, it's probably his last letter. He's been in prison for a while. Um, he says in verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He, he just finished talking about how, how like Jewish he was. Like, I'm more spiritual than all you fools, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss um, for, the, for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul learned as he as he just goes through suffering. He says, I found that my suffering is not without purpose. I'm suffering because Jesus has called me to this ministry and I've been slowly putting to death all those things that the world said were important. And I'm just trusting that, that God's calling me to a season of being uncomfortable because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing who he is. If, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, I just want to ask you, do you believe that? And your actions, your behaviors, the things that you're willing to put to death are going to be evidence to you as to whether or not you believe it. And, and as someone who, who has also put things to death. I can, not as much as Paul, but I can say with uh, uh, the same level of, of, of rearview mirror hindsight 2020, I thought it was going to be worse, um, but God is good. He works all things together for those who love him. And some of those things are those small seasons of suffering for the surpassing knowledge of knowing his glory.
So in closing, just as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus learned, even death isn't final in the hands of Jesus. We are called to daily die to ourselves, to daily pick up our cross, and to daily follow Jesus. What is the Lord calling you, and the word that we don't like a lot, we don't use a lot, what is the Lord calling you to surrender uh, to him today? And as soon as you surrender it to him, there's going to be another one down the line, but you're going to find life at the end of that surrendering. Uh, if you haven't surrendered anything to the Lord lately, I'm telling you, he's calling you to surrender something. Uh, what is he calling you to surrender today? Let me pray, then we will uh, we'll watch the queue together. Lord, um, we come to you. Uh, one, we thank you for the power of, uh, of Jesus on display in that story. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to, to trust that power. Um, that we would we would lay at your feet. We would even we would even put to death those parts of us that we think are so important that they think that we think they define us, and we would just trust that you have the power of resurrection of life. Um, you you can you can you can do what whatever you want with it, and um, your ways are better than ours. Help us to be a church that doesn't lose our life while we're trying to save it, but let us let us willingly give up the things that you're calling us to surrender to you, um, and in do so in so doing, we would find. Uh, your life uh, as a result. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.